Hey guys, it is Lori here. Hey, before we get rolling with the episode, I wanted to let you know the best way to stay connected with us and to get to know everything that's coming down the pipeline, like workshops and our book launch. The best way to do that is to go to lauriekrieg.com. L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G and scroll down to the bottom and drop your first and last name and email address and we will keep you connected. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 126, Walking with Trauma While in a Traumatic Event. Yes, hello and welcome. I'm your host, Lori Krieg, and I am back in the downstairs of our house and not alongside licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg, who is with the kids. I'm hearing them outside at this point and they seem to be happy yelling. I hope it's happy yelling, (laughs) but uh, you know, I'm just rocking a a football helmet. Keep myself nice and safe here. I'm just kidding. I'm not really wearing a football helmet. And uh, Steve, you're you're head to toe hockey, keeping it safe, keeping it real. Uh, That's that's right. Yes. Um, I hope I don't scare anyone. <laughs> he is in studio because he's allowed, but I'm still not allowed back in and that's okay. I'm working on forgiveness. Um, no, I'm glad that everyone is uh, staying safe, but he, that voice and head to toe hockey unif- uniform. That's not it. Pads. Sure. What's the word for hockey stuff? Uh, hockey gear. Gear. Duh. Gear. Kit. (laughs) That sounds British. Okay. But that guy in the gear is uh, also the most professional radio voice among us and the one with the words. That's producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. And I am so looking forward to talking about something that has been niggling at my head and, and leading me to prayer pretty much this whole pandemic time. And it is, um, how are people who have gone through trauma coping while in this traumatic event? Uh, And so by the time you guys are hearing this, we're recording this before we in Michigan are out from shelter in place. I hope we are. I hope we get out. (laughs) But there's some processing we need to do, both from what we've experienced recently and then, too, as it relates to our trauma. And who is going to help us walk through some of these pieces of this? It's author and teacher Mary DeMuth. Mary, welcome. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. Now, guys, if you do not know Mary, she is an author, speaker, and podcaster, which is why she's got some sweet gear, gear, kit, another word, <laughs> today. <laughs> garb. No, that's not it. Uh, But she's passionate about helping you live a restoried life. I'm sure there's a story to even that choice of words you're picking. Um, But she is a survivor of neglect and sexual abuse. And she was gloriously rescued by Jesus. Mm, Good word, gloriously. When she was 15, she has spent her life healing from trauma so she can help others not feel so alone. And she is the wife of Patrick and mom of three adult children and is the author of the book we too. We're going to talk a bit about her book, but I really want to take the core of that message of her book and make it practical to today's cultural context. But before we do that, let's take a little detour. It's kind of like an actual detour because we're talking cars. The question of the week from last week, which is what kind of car parker are you? Pull through, 
parallel? Do you not have to? Do you just get to take, you know, the subway, etc.? Mary, bring it, bring it to us. <laughs> okay, so I live in Texas, so yes, we have cars, and <laughs> but I did live in France, and we had this giant Mercedes station wagon that was not cute. It was like the ugliest Mercedes ever made, and I had to drive a stick shift there, and oh, so man. it just kind of triggered me of parking forever. So I just choose now never to parallel park, and I drive <laughs> through to the front so that I don't ever have to back out because it just was so traumatic. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, now, Steve, I just want to hear from you. What oh. do you do? What you got a truck? I feel like truck drivers do their own like deal. They have their own car parking rules. Yeah. Well, I okay. So I am not a typical. I'm not like a lifelong truck driver. I just got this pickup truck like a year ago, and I'm still figuring out how to be spatially aware of it. You know, like how far yeah. forward to pull to not be sticking out. You know, and all that stuff. But um, I would say I have historically been kind of a notorious because I'm an Enneagram nine look for as close to the door kind of parking spot as I can possibly find where I will drive around that parking lot for uh, 15 minutes so that I can save time walking to the door. But God is helping me with that. I'm beginning to let that go a little bit. I've and, repented. Exactly. And I will just find whatever spot the Lord provides we receive as a gift. And if it's a pull through, <laughs> if I can pull through, even better. That is so awesome. Um, do you pray? My mom was definitely a prayer for, still is, I'm sure, about parking spots. I am. My no, kids, they're I, praying with me like, oh, Jesus, help has, us find a parking spot. It has spot. not occurred to me. But now that you've even suggested that, I am going to now. Especially, if, especially if Marsha Heckman does it. Yeah, my mom. She taught me and my kids are teaching me. Okay, but I took a poll on our uh, Facebook Hole in My Heart podcast group. And so if you guys want to join that, you got to just find it and ask to join. And there's a couple questions you got to answer. Uh, but you guys, from like your top five, the first one is whatever you find first, shrug. That's most of you said. Second one, park far away. Got to get them steps. <laughs> I see you guys. That's good. Good for you. Pull through. All right, Mary. There you go. You probably will like that. Back it in, baby. That was the fourth. And what's driving again was the fifth. Thanks, Rona. So <laughs> I, I'm i like whatever I find first. And so if it's far away, it's far away. I used to stress out and do the circling, but that stressed me out too much. So I stopped. Okay. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate it. Sure. Deep thoughts. <laughs> now we do have a question for you that we ask every guest and it's a double question and it's about the gospel which is the purpose of this podcast to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day and so if the gospel is i am more love than i imagine yet more sinful than i believe when was the gospel first good news for you second part how is it still great so the gospel is such good news and i did not understand it growing up uh, i didn't know anything about jesus i I uh, knew that he was a swear word, and I also knew that he might vaguely be connected to Christmas. I did not know he was connected to Easter. I grew up in a completely unchristian, um, like post-Christian environment. And so uh, by the time I reached seventh and eighth grade, because I had been a victim of sexual abuse for a year as a five-year-old, and because I had been through so many different divorces, my parents, not me, <laughs> and uh, because I had been so neglected and all of that, I was really ready to take my life. 
And I, I would look at the ground and I would look at my feet and I would think, you know, why, why are these two feet standing on this earth? And why am I occupying this square foot of land? And what's the purpose of it except to get abused and neglected? And so I was, you know, writing suicide poetry. I was thinking, you know, this has got to be the end. I was an only child. I didn't have anyone to like process this with. And, and I kept losing dads. So my biological father died. And then all these other dads kept coming in and out of my life. And so it was just a mess. When I was in the eighth grade, I had a counselor who I believe was a Christ follower. And he gave me a hall pass that allowed me to get out of class at any moment. And I would burst into tears and just go in his office and cry because my mom was going to go through another divorce and I couldn't bear the weight of it. In the ninth grade, I was invited to go to Young Life by a friend of mine. And um, the moment I started hearing about Jesus Christ, my heart was like leaping out of my chest. And by the end of ninth grade, I remember hearing one of the Young Life talks where they just talked about the story of Jesus calming the waves and the sea. And the question that was asked was um, what the disciples asked, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And that question just stayed in my head all summer. And that fall, as a sophomore, I went to a weekend camp, a Young Life camp, and I heard the gospel in all of its entirety for the pretty much the first time. I was very ripe. If I had heard it a few months earlier, I'm sure I would have given my heart to Jesus at that point. But um, that's what I did. And the ironic and beautiful thing about this story is that my greatest violation was as a five-year-old being raped by these uh, neighborhood teenagers. And this was in the Pacific Northwest. And so it all uh, almost always happened outside under these giant evergreen trees. When I heard the gospel, it was nighttime and I went outside at this camp and I put my back against an evergreen tree and just heard about Jesus dying on a tree. And I gave my life to Jesus at that point. And um, so the symbolism, I didn't understand it at the time. It was later that I reflected on it, that I realized here I am under my symbol of greatest violation, also Christ's symbol of greatest violation, the tree, the cross. And uh, yet this is where I was rescued. So the gospel in that sense was not necessarily for me like this realization of my deep sinfulness, like, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. It was more like, I'm desperately sad. I need a father. And this is, this is the only thing I have left. And um, so that has continued to stay good news for me over the years. I would love to say then at 15, then Jesus miraculously healed me of all my trauma. And then I was perfect from then on out. Uh, so it's been a long healing journey, but that's why the gospel is good news today, because there's been so much healing that's happened in those decades in between those two uh, times. Mm, so good. Thank you for sharing that. You know, so I've been doing a lot of reflecting on a couple different pieces, and I'm going to start with this one just in the midst of the pandemic. So I'm an adult survivor of childhood sexual assault uh, from a few different places outside my family, a couple strangers. Um, and so I'm really thankful for a lot of the soul work that I've done pre this pandemic and trauma. And so, you know, by the time that this airs, people are probably going to have crawled out of the bunker that we've all been living in. And for people who've gone through trauma in their past, how might they be feeling or wrestling differently than those who haven't? Well, 
to say something positive, actually, I think that those who have been through trauma and have learned to work through it have a little bit more resilience if they've done that work. And I've been really surprised at how peaceful I've been during this pandemic. And I think it's just because when you've been traumatized before, you learn how to kind of frame it or cope with it. I think another thing that I've learned along the way is that if you don't grieve something in the moment, you have to revisit it later. And so I am just learning to grieve it in the moment and the losses, the many losses. Uh, my husband lost his mother during this time. Uh, so mm. there's many losses to grieve them in the moment so that I don't have to tamp them down and then have to have some sort of traumatic reoccurrence later. <laughs> so mm. in that sense, I think we can kind of rely on some of the, the coping mechanisms that we've learned that will actually empower us during this time. Mm. For those who maybe, you know, I've needed several rounds of counseling, to be honest with you. Yes. <laughs> I just need a little tune-up every once in a while. My husband's sure. a licensed therapist, but he's not my counselor. That's yes. a little dysfunctional. But um, for people who maybe are listening and they, I don't know, maybe this pandemic made them remember something. Or maybe mm-hmm. they had done a round of counseling and then they're like, oh, snap, I got some issues. <laughs> what would you say to them as they're you know, crawling out of the, this proverbial bunker I've talked about and they're saying like, what, what do they need to do? They're just trying to like get their bearings. What's, what's a step they should take? Well, first I would commend them for having some quiet in their lives because this is when it usually comes up in these times of quiet. And because of this pandemic, we've had lots of spaces of quiet. And so it doesn't surprise me that it would come up. What I would recommend is either a friend or a loved one, or um, if that's not accessible to you right now, a really great journal. And to get everything out, every emotion, everything that you're thinking, if you've been, you finally remembered something that has puzzled you for a long time, and you'd like to start working through it, write it down and get it out, or speak it into a microphone or something because it needs to get outside of you. Um, if it stays, if it's like, if you're like me, if it stays in me, I ruminate and I start spiraling down into the pit of despair. And it's only when I either communicate that with my husband or a really close friend, or I write it down in my journal that I can kind of see it as separate from me, if that makes sense, and begin to discern it. And then it's there. It's not stuck inside of me. Does that make sense? It does. And it makes sense no matter what. Like, so even today I was wrestling and I couldn't even name it. And it wasn't honestly trauma related, but there was this voice inside me that was like, just put words to it. Just put words to it and just start talking to Matt. And I was like, but I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> and then <laughs> I just started saying any sentence. And I was like, well, I feel a little bit. It was like a half sentence, but it started the ball rolling. Now, you made an interesting comment about the gift. Uh, I don't like saying that word, but just maybe the resilience factor that those who have gone through trauma and then going through this trauma may have. Okay, what if someone's listening who hasn't gone through significant sexual assault and they're like, I ain't doing good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not doing well. I need some help. Is it sort of the same processing that they need to start getting it out? Like, what would you recommend to them? Yeah, that it's the same thing um, because things that stay inside don't do well. And I often, when I speak to audiences, I say an untold story never heals. And I think we have to give ourselves permission to share it 
I think what happens during a pandemic, which, you know, this is the first one I've been in. So you know, whenever you have a pandemic, but uh, you know, it's such a unique time in that all of us are suffering at the same time. We're all affected by it. And so we might rationalize and say, I'm really struggling, but so is everyone else. And look, that person over there, their uncle died last week, or, you know, we, we don't, feel like we can have permission to grieve what we've lost all the inhuman contact that we've lost has been horrible just awful yes. um i mean I, I just want to i'm gonna be a lethal hugger when this is all over I'm i think i am too. people at, at the store Hi. <laughs> you don't know me i'm gonna hug you yeah. so, so but just to give ourselves permission this is hard whether you've had trauma or not, this is hard. Everyone's experiencing it, but just because everyone's experiencing it doesn't mean that it's not real to you. And so to process it on paper or with a loved one is very important. Mm. And those who are listening who you're like, actually, I'm good. Can you give grace and space to those of us who maybe are good today, but tomorrow we're not? Like, can you, can we be safe places for each other, which I know is a buzzword and we can roll our eyes at it. Be safe, be kind, be gentle. Love is patient and kind and gentle. And so anyway, just to say, you know what? Maybe you're not feeling that way, but you don't have to edit their feelings. You can just say, man, that is hard. And I'm so sorry for your pain. Okay, here's, I mentioned two things. So I've been really wrestling with um, people who have gone through trauma and are in this trauma. And we might circle back to that. But I do want to talk to, this is something that makes me want to throw up and weep, is people who are have been sheltering in place with perpetrators. Um, yeah. So I think of kids who are locked up with abusive parents. I think of wives and husbands who are, you know, and they're not actually locked up, but they feel that way. And kids especially, you know, you are. And so I don't, maybe they're listening to this, maybe not. But if they are, and they're starting to crawl out of the shelter in place. So, you know, they'd probably be teenage or older. Like, what, what would you say to them? So the laws are still the same. And there are still, I, I'm really good friends with someone who runs the Child Advocacy Center here in Texas, in, uh, outside of Dallas. And they have a lot of cases coming in still. And, and so my... Um, admonition is if you are in a harmful place and you are in that stage that you could get away. I mean, if you're five, that's hard, but if you're mm -hmm. 15, 16, 17 or older, or you're in a marriage, you can still find safety. And there are still agencies out there as part of, um, you know, that are still in operation because they have to be, and they need to be. So don't let that dangerous situation um, don't let the COVID crisis prevent you from getting safe. And I just want, if you listeners would join me in praying for people who are in this shelter in place, and we don't know, is there going to be more rounds of this? We have to go back in. We have to, like, we don't, nobody knows but God. But will you guys join me in praying for angels to like literally stop this from happening? Because I, I feel so helpless and I ache for people. And so if we can be the church and to be really like, will you join with me in praying for people as they are really aching right now? Okay, so here's my question. You wrote We Too. Um, this book and it addresses, you know, the Me Too movement. That's we've heard about it. It's women and men coming forward with their 
suffering through sexual assault and naming it and saying it and like you said claiming our story why did you write we too well um many reasons um forefront of which i love the church and so um, this book is about the church's response to the sexual abuse crisis. And I didn't write it to condemn the church, but to encourage and admonish and have it be a prophetic voice for the church. I saw enough um, dismissing, enough silencing, enough um, painful stories of church leadership that shut people down when they tried to tell in order to protect, not even for themselves, even though they had been victims. And I just felt like, this is not what Jesus would do. This is not how um, a, a loving, kind, um, you know, amazing God would connect with this issue. And so I spent a lot of time, um, I've been writing about this since the mid 90s. I've been speaking about my own sexual abuse publicly since then. And for a very long time, the audience have been stunned to silence because you're not supposed to talk about that stuff. Right. But I'd always get a line afterwards of me too, me too, me too. And I was finding, here's the thing that has really been frustrating to me. I have felt in the pew that I am the only person with my story, even though intellectually I understand that there are many of us. But there has very, I, I can count on one hand how many times I've heard a story of abuse from the front of a church. And some of those times it's been me. Mm -hmm. Um because nobody talks about it. They'll put a testimony up on the screen of someone that battled an addiction or their marriage broke up, but it came back together or someone had a, you know, they were drug addicted and they, you know, went to a halfway house and then they found Jesus. And those are great stories. Don't get me wrong, but I've never or very seldom heard someone say I was molested or I was date raped or this happened to me. And yet here's how Jesus has intersected that. And here's how um, I continue to find healing today. Mm. Um, so that all those things underneath, that's kind of, there's a large conundrum or like a jumble of things, but uh, that's why I wrote the book. It's gigantic and such a big need. And, you know, I get confused by that too, because, you know, as someone who's walked through it and I, I share from stages and sometimes I talk about it and sometimes I don't. Do you think the biggest reason is because people assume if you've been hurt, you're going to hurt other people? Like all of a sudden you become like this predator, like, which is totally enraging. Like what, what is the reason? Uh, I think that could be a very small part, but I think people just don't like to talk about sex from the front of church. What? And Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and this is the worst kind. So, right. you know, predatory sex uh, is yeah. hellish and it's super uncomfortable. And I think we would like to believe that it doesn't happen in the church. And I think a lot of us are guilty of this happy world syndrome where we believe that or we're, we're so traumatized by the world that we, we need it to be happy. And so we compartmentalize our lives and we place everything in this church box and at least there, everything's okay. Mm. But if someone comes in and says, yeah, but that youth pastor did this, it messes with that box and that's our little control box. And if they do, then we have to, we have to concede that even it happens even at church and then we're not safe anywhere. So I think a lot of people are afraid of opening up that um, can of worms. And then I also think pastors are rightly afraid that if they do open that can of worms, will they have the ability to help those who come forward afterwards? 
on my website, we2.org slash pastors, there's a free PDF that's like four, 13, 14 pages long. Um, and it's for anyone, not just pastors, but it has all these resources. I don't think, I think shepherds and pastors today are overwhelmed and they are not capable of, uh, I'm sure some of them are, but uh, they're not equipped to handle an onslaught of sexual abuse stories. But there are lots of ministries that are able to help that. And so I have compiled that list for folks. So pastors who are listening, and I always have such a tender place in my heart Mm -hmm. for them because I know I'm like, you got budgets. Now you got a pandemic. Now you got like, (laughs) is my church going to reopen? And the ridiculous back and forth on now it's political and now it's what do we do? And so I I have such compassion. I had compassion before the camp pandemic and I do now and I know you do too, Mary. But Mm -hmm. what's hard is when God has put messages in us, like in me and in you, and he's like, I care about this. I care about my gospel mm-hmm. metaphor that gets slaughtered with, um, with sexual assault, with, with this, these aberrations of, of instead of looking like the gospel metaphor that I have, he cares. And so here we are like with this message and we're like, can you please talk about this? Like how, how can pastors, how can we interact? You know, you and me, Mary, let's fix yeah. us today. Um, but <laughs> okay. how can, how can pastors not be overwhelmed by this? Like if there's even more issues that come forward as a result of the shelter in place? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a wonderful question. And all I can think of is, um, we can't do anything on our own. And uh, when we are weakest is when the Lord does his best shepherding through us. And so I would say that if you are a shepherd of your people, however that congregation may look, this issue is affecting a large percentage of your sheep and it needs to be addressed. And you may be afraid to do it, but Jesus does his best work through fearful servants who are weak mm-hmm. and need his strength. And so I would just ask you to look at your fear and ask why you have that fear. Mm-hmm. And then to begin to address that fear, like, oh, I can't counsel 80 people about their sexual abuse. Okay, there's ways to uh, have a one-time meeting and then pass them on to someone who is a trauma counselor or whatever, just to have those resources, but at least to be the face of it and say, I care about you. This is beyond my pay grade. I will keep praying for you. One of the things that some churches have done is created kind of this team of liaisons so that they have a, a liaison between the pastor and the her- person who's hurting. And they've been referred on to other services, but the liaison then com- communicates with the pastor of, oh, they're doing really well this week or that you might want to pray or reach out this week because I had a hard week or something like that will just kind of remove you a little bit from the constant uh, trauma of hearing all those stories. Yeah, which that in and of itself, you know, again, therapist, husband, I know that that can be really grating if you're not called into that space. Okay, but can you, you know, we've talked a lot on this um, podcast, like, okay, how can we talk about God's design for marriage within the context of the greater gospel narrative and the good of God's design? And then, you know, how, we've kind of like tried to script the sermon series for pastors off and on. So in your mind, what's what's the sermon? Like what, when you're sitting there in the audience, you're like, I've never heard a testimony or I would love it if a pastor would talk about that, which I can very much relate to that. What, what would be the ideal sermon that a pastor could give that would help 
a quarter of women, a fifth of men in the audience who've been sexually assaulted and maybe are wrestling with it. This trauma's dug it up again, you know, of the pandemic. What would be that sermon or an idea for them? One of the things that is interesting to me and that I've learned over the years, and this is a hard truth, but it, it does preach. And that is what wounds us is what heals us. When we've been wounded in negative community, often the Lord will ask us to walk into good community in order to heal. So relational wounds are healed through relationship. And what happens so often, and this could apply to 100% of your congregation, what happens when we are harmed, whether it's a traumatic event or someone breaks up with us or you know we have a friendship breakup or anything like that, is that we tend to build a wall and we think, I don't ever want to be violated again that way. And so then we wall everyone off, which works really well, but it prohibits joy. And so um, looking at how, what kind of things can we do biblically to begin to tear that wall down, to build our discernment muscle about who is safe in order to entrust ourselves to, and to embrace the fact that the gospel is not for me personally, it is for us. If you look at the communal verses throughout the New Testament, this is not a gospel just for one human individual. Although, of course, I've you know met Jesus and all of that. But we look at 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, or you look at uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father, all of that is a context of community. We have, as Americans, we have pulled that away. We think if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But that was not how it was written. Confession was meant to be made in community. And so having that robust, beautiful, um, strong community around you as a church will actually be some of the impetus for people to heal and um, learn teaching people how to re-engage in good community. Mm. On that same people path, I kind of want to shift gears. So let's go back to pandemic. We're walking out of it. Well, hopefully we're walking out yes. of our shelter in place <laughs> um, world and you know, maybe someone, we're all starved for relationship and someone's realizing, man, I, I would like to share my story of assault or abuse with someone. Um, can you share maybe how to process if they do share with someone, like what's a sentence they start with to like share and like with whom, and if that goes bad, how can they process? Cause the, that's the thing is life's not a Disney movie. <laughs> I think <Darn> it. <laughs> I know, it's just not. And then if it goes well, like how can you help us help the person listening? Who's like, I do need that relationship. I want to share. Can you help even like preemptively prepare our hearts? Yes. Yeah, so I actually have an experience with that. When I was 15, I had kept my secret for 10 years and I met Jesus. And then immediately, for some reason, I got the bravery to tell one of my family members about what had happened. And I was unbelieved. And I had to tell the story so many times to that person, almost practically grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them to make them believe. So not, I know what it's like to be 15 and not be heard and not be believed. It is very possible that that could happen, but what kept me going was this tenacious need to be whole. And, and so let that be your driving force. Uh, if you tell someone and they ignore you or they say, oh, well, you're just over-exaggerating or maybe that didn't happen. Did you just make that up? All the insensitive comments that come, you just 
with rationality, without emotion, if you can, just make this rational thought, that person wasn't the right person to tell. I don't need to berate myself about that. I just chose wrong. It's okay. Um, they're not in a place. I will choose another person that seems safer after I've learned from this person. Mm, yep. And it's really information about them than about you. Yes. Their response <laughs> is just, that's data about their ability to handle it right now. Right. So when was a time that went well for you? A time of telling it the yeah. story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was in college, um, so I had been a Christian maybe three or four years and three years. Um, I was involved in a group of students who were going to the same church I was going to. And there was good leadership in that church and that church and those people listen to my story over and over again. They didn't care that I kept telling it because you kind of mm-hmm. have to keep telling it, you know? <laughs> it just and, makes it, uh, it's embodying really yeah, what that like, does. This happened to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And they, they prayed for me significantly for four years. And I basically, I, I did get a degree and all of that, but mainly, mainly I just cried and got healed. So, <laughs> um and of course, there's more healing after that. So please don't hear me that there's just get prayed for and you'll be healed. Um, it's a long process. But that was a time where people really dignified my story, believed it, and they um, they assumed the trauma of it. And there was another instance that I think is even more poignant. I went to the Cape Town 2010 conference, which was like 10,000 evangelical missionary leaders from around the whole world in Cape Town, South Africa. And I was in charge of a little table. So like a table of six of us. And we all shared our stories. They were from all over the world, from Kenya, from South Africa, from Iraq. I mean, it was awesome. And at the very end, this man named Malcolm, uh, he was from South Africa and he had his own story of lots of pain. And he said, Mary, I feel like you need to look at me right now because I feel like God wants to say something to you. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all in. He, we're in the, the, the place where everyone is. So we're in the convention center. He gets on his knees. He looks at me and cries and says, I apologize. And I'm so sorry on behalf of all men who have ever hurt you. Mm-hmm. And there was just something about that that healed something deep inside of me I didn't even know was broken. Mm-hmm. So that was another mm-hmm. time where it was just so beautiful. What I hear in that, for those who are listening, um, that's really good practical advice for those of us who are telling our story. But for those who are listening and want to be good receivers, I hear not nailing it perfect. Like you don't have to get the perfect words. I hear crying with, I hear believing, Mm -hmm. I hear listening to the Holy Spirit. Like, does God have something for this person? Um, Also, we've said this a few times, you know, if you feel the urge to hug, you're a hugger. I'm not a touch person, but I think after I'm out of, (laughs) out of the, my hole in the ground that there was a hobbit Lori, um, (laughs) that I will be a hugger now, probably I'm all healed, but just ask before you do that. But you're not saying that that's the whole healing for the individual. You're saying those are good ways to receive as the church. But the individual who needs healing, that's huge, but probably also need counseling, someone who is a specialist in trauma care as well, right? Absolutely. I would never not say that. (laughs) Definitely. Prayer has been great, but also therapy has been lovely and Mm -hmm. And I will say for those of us who are like, um, well, what do I do if someone tells me this really difficult traumatic story? Yeah. I would say instead of tamping down any immediate emotion that you have, I would say experience it. 
some of the times that have been most healing for me, like one time I told my story and someone just got flat out angry. They were mad that that happened. And it made me so happy <laughs> because it validated the fact that this was awful. And, and they were mad and they finally like stepped into my story and got mad on my behalf. And so if you're feeling mad, be mad. If you're feeling like mm. you're tearing up, tear up. It's mm. fine. Um, it's a gift that you're entering in or you're becoming like Atticus Finch, like walking around in someone else's shoes. Mm. I'll never forget the time my counselor, this precious old 70-year-old something woman who walked with God and she just started swearing about my soul. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. Those words needed to be said. <laughs> that is a time they were very appropriate. So here we are. And you unpack some things in us and, and you're affirming these places in us if we're wrestling and maybe we can remember something, maybe we can't. If there's something that someone brings forward, do we, can you just tell us, do we always believe them? Is that the default? Yes. Yeah, I was nodding. I guess I need to use words. Um, <laughs> yeah. Air on the side of belief because for the most part, uh, you will be very happy that you did. And for the most part, it is true. Um, it's not up to you to try to dissect and, and figure out if it's true or not. Just err on the side of, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And if it isn't true, which is very rare, um, it will come out in the end. But wouldn't you want your first response to be empathetic? I mean, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be Jesus's first response, empathy? Mm. And if something is coming up for someone who's listening, and again, maybe this pandemic brought it up, should our first response be to believe ourselves? Yeah, to trust the unction of the Holy Spirit, to trust the, you know, the Lord is a gentleman healer. And sometimes there are things that have been hidden until we're ready to deal with them. And then he starts slowly peeling away the layers. Pay attention to those little, those little oops <laughs> that are mm. happening inside of you, because maybe it's a, it's a, actually a welcoming to a new part of your healing adventure. And I, I try to look at it as an adventure because healing is difficult. But if I look at it like, okay, I, if I look at healing like climbing Mount Rainier in Washington State, it seems a lot more interesting to me that I'm learning how to put on my boots appropriately. I'm learning how to have an ice pick. I'm learning the next thing. And at the end, I'm going to be climbing this mountain and it's not going to be easy. It will be very difficult, but um, it's an adventure. And so instead of dreading the fact that you had this flash of a memory, think of it as a healing adventure. And two, if you guys are like me, uh, after our second daughter was born, a new memory of assault uh, surfaced, which I talk about that in our book that's coming out this fall. Um, and I was so angry at it. I was like, I've already done so many rounds of healing. And I was like, God, where's the blue pill from the matrix? I think it was a blue one. They can like forget it. But my therapist said something to me that was so profound. And she said, Lori, that was already inside of you. Like the memory was already there. And so what you're doing is you're, you were already operating out of it. You just didn't know it. And so she said, for us to dig this out is just going to do exactly what you said. Although she didn't use the word adventure. I like that. <laughs> but it's really going to take you to deeper levels of um, knowing God's love on this healing adventure. So it's worth it. 
could you marry? Um, I've been having, sometimes I just try and listen to this. Well, I'm trying to listen to the spirit all the time, but sometimes I sense the spirit saying, let's have this guest pray over our listeners right now. And so I would love for you to just pray over them. Who's listening, um, for people who are receiving stories, but really for all of us who've gone through this collective, really hard trauma that kind of never ends. So will you pray over us who've gone through trauma in trauma, um, and just, I don't know, pray however the spirit leads, but just pray for our listeners. Thank you. Yes, I would love to. I actually have a podcast called Pray Every Day, where I pray hey. for people every day. So well, um, if people out there feel like they uh, are not being prayed for, or they feel so alone, they can be prayed for every day by me. So oh, I would love to do that. Get it. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for another day of life, another day of breath. And I do pray for the person who has a triggered memory that has come up and it's maybe it's painful or scary or just um, overwhelming. And Lord, I pray that not only would you help them to get that out somehow, but that they would see that you are the gentleman healer, uh, wooing them along a path of healing toward wholeness. And Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to want to be whole because it's just such a long daunting adventure, so to speak. Um, but Lord, sometimes we can't do it for ourselves, but I know that so many of us want to be um, really kind hearted for our families and our friends. And so maybe if we can't do it for ourselves, maybe if we could do it for them, for their sake, because they need a whole dad, a whole mom, a whole brother, a whole sister, a whole friend. And so Lord, would you heal us for the sake of others too? Um, Lord, in this pandemic, in this time of isolation, uh, it's been really hard for all of us. And we ask that you would take that burden away from us um, that you would carry it. Your load that you give us is light and you are kind and gentle and you give us rest for our souls. So we, we take that burden. We also give you the burden of our loved ones who we haven't been able to connect with. And we just thank you that you hold them, but we look forward to the day when we can hold them, Lord. Father, I pray for the pastors out there who are discouraged or feeling just overwhelmed and tired. And I thank you for rest. I thank you for Sabbath. I thank you for sabbaticals. I thank you for times of refreshing coming from you. And I pray for all of that. You, uh, Lord, we pray you would lead them beside still waters, that you would shepherd them in their dark places and the places of hurt so that they could be a shepherd again toward others. Lord, we love you. We pray light would be shed on your church and especially mm. this issue. We believe mm. that revival, or I believe that revival comes on the heels of light and truth. And mm. so open it up, Lord, open the floodgates, expose the wolves that are out there mm. in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Get it, Mary. All right. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your story and your insight with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, guys, if you want to find Mary's book, We Too, uh, I will link to it on the podcast episode page at lauriekrieg.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G. And we've got some blogs and all the other episodes. You can find them there as well as some information about upcoming events, which... What are upcoming events? Who knows? We're trusting Jesus that he knows uh, what's going to happen. And we are in the midst of planning some for the fall. Lord willing, if the Lord wills. But I do have a question of the week for next week, which is what is a piece of art that has ministered to you 
just doesn't have to be lately, but just at some point and why I just would, we all need some good art, some beauty these days. So I would love to see some of those pictures and I don't know, maybe I'll throw them on the podcast page. It's my website. I'll do what I want, but I would love to see uh, some of that art to kind of do some of the soul healing that we all need. Also, guys, we so appreciate when you give us the old five-star review on iTunes. It helps other people to find this. If you appreciate it, it just means a lot so that other people can find this and um, really learn about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. Or just share this episode. Send it to a friend. If you know someone who is walking through trauma, just even what Mary was praying over us at the end, I know when um, my memory, that suppressed memory was coming forward, I was like, oh, I would have just melted to hear someone pray that over me. So just send it to someone uh, or just pray for your friend too uh, who maybe is wrestling with some of these things we mentioned I just want to say thanks again to Mary DeMuth and thank you guys for being a part of this podcast family we so love hearing from you and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast I'm going to go play some football Steve's going to play the hockeys (laughs) and we will see you next week Mm